What's up, Star Wars fans? Happy Monday. It's good to be back here on Han Talks First. We are now eight weeks into our Road to the Rise of Skywalker movie marathon, which means just got done watching The Last Jedi. There's nothing like a good movie, isn't there? And The Last Jedi is nothing like a good movie. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, so I'm breaking it down here today and reviewing it for you guys. Uh, just like I did with all the other movies in the Scott saga. Skaga. In the saga. And that's really all that this episode is going to be about. There was no new Mandalorian shows or much else that I saw. However, I will state a fact that I learned about The Mandalorian show recently, and that I figured out what The Mandalorian's name is. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I heard an interview with Pedro Pascal recently, and he was saying that The Mandalorian's name is Din Djarin. Interesting, huh? What does that mean? Could that mean his clan or where he's from? I don't know, but it's from Pedro's mouth himself, so it means it's true. So let's jump right in to the Last Jedi movie review. So this is going to be a shorter episode than normal, uh, because I'm only covering one topic today. But um, I just wanted to go ahead and start off by letting everybody know that, um, you know, it's really, really hard for me to review this movie from an objective point of view. And of course, my personal feelings and bias towards the film are going to affect the way I talk about it. And that's just how it is. I'm... So I'm going to try my best not to just, you know, hate and bash on this movie. But let's be honest, I really don't like this movie. And the only reason I watched it recently was so I could review it properly here on this channel. But I'm going to try my hardest and try and keep my personal feelings out of it and just give you guys an honest review of of this this whole movie. And how it affects the whole saga. So, you know, if you if you are hoping to find something that's going to be a, a genuine, unbiased, unopinionated movie review, then I don't think this you should listen to the rest of this podcast because this movie is very, very upsetting on so many different levels for the the different sides that that watch this movie and some that hate it and some that like it. It's really one or the other. There's no in between with this and. I'm starting off by letting you know that I strongly dislike this movie and there is nothing I like about it, but I'm going to try and not let it affect how I give it its overall review. So now you've been warned. If you want to check out, go ahead and check out, but come back next week because we'll have more Star Wars content to cover. And if you're sticking around, let's get started. Now, before I get into any of the story or character or structure of the movie, I want to start by talking about the marketing that took place before this movie's release. And I think it was some of the best marketing that 
any movie has ever had. The the whole uh, just the whole aesthetic that they promoted with this, the red and white theme, uh, and it just it made it feel darker. It made it feel uh, bloody. It made it feel like it was it was going to be a really deep and uh, emotional and weighted movie. And I'm looking at the uh, the Blu-ray cover now. Even that is beautiful. The gray and the red. It's just so dark. And the character posters. Uh, if, if any of you have the uh, the special deluxe edition of the Last Jedi Blu-ray disc, uh, you know what I'm talking about. But um, it's it's some of the most beautiful artwork I've seen when advertising a Star Wars movie. And I think the character posters, if I remember, came out first, and then it followed by the trailer. But I'm just flipping through now, and uh, just some of the concept for this is really good. The character posters, again, the way the Leia and Luke and Kylo are all posed, um, it just it makes you think that we're going to get into uh, more of the dark side in this movie and really dive in deep into a character analysis similar to The Empire Strikes Back. Um, so that's one th- positive thing I will say about it is I love the artwork. I love what they did. Uh, every character is wearing red in the uh, promo photos. Um, all their costumes are the same, but they're just colored in red. And it's just very beautiful and very, very striking. And I haven't seen anything else like it as far as movie promotion goes. So uh, kudos to the marketing team there for developing this aesthetic and really making it pop and stand out and be different than any other uh, promotional campaign for Star Wars. All right, so uh, following that, we got the trailer, right? And uh, the trailer, is, it's, it, again, it set up, it was very red and white and gray, and it really set up the fact that, like, this movie is going to be intense, it is going to be dark, and it is going to be menacing, and the trailer, again, this hasn't changed at all, in my opinion. But I think the first Last Jedi trailer was one of the best trailers that we've ever seen, not just in Star Wars, but in just movie history. It is one of the greatest trailers I've ever seen. And it's very well crafted and it's very well edited and put together. And the because not only is it a voiceover narrative piece in the, of the trailer, but there's also dialogue between characters in the trailer and the, the stunning visuals. Um, you know, in most trailers you see today, if there's dialogue between the characters in the trailer, it's usually for a bit. And, and, or if there's not, it's just voiceover work, which really doesn't make you connect that much to the story. The Rise of Skywalker trailers, for example, there's no dialogue back and forth between characters. So you kind of lose a connection there. And there's more voiceover work in the Rise of Skywalker promotion, which doesn't make me any less hyped. I understand that it's done so that we can have anticipation leading up to the film, and we kind of save those moments for the film itself. And honestly, there hasn't been much shown from the rise of skywalker which is great like i said last uh, two weeks ago i think most of the um most of the footage we're seeing in the trailers and tv spots or whatever is only taking place in the first act of the movie and that most of the 
stunning visuals, visuals, <laughs> stunning visuals and uh, character moments and uh, emotional moments are going to be in the actual movie itself in the second and third act. But anyway, the trailer for The Last Jedi is one of the greatest trailers of all time, in my opinion. However, the trailer for The Last Jedi is a completely different tone than that of the movie. Because once you watch the movie, it is not at all the trailer that you saw before. And I'll talk about the movie more, but you... And we it even said it in the trailer, Luke himself. He said it. This is not going to go the way you think. So we all we all should have been prepared. We're just we were so ignorant with the fact of that. But it is. I don't I don't this isn't opinionated. The tone of the trailer is a complete contrast to the movie. That's not an opinion. That is fact. I, I go it's really the first time for everybody that the expectations were subverted of this movie is going from the trailer straight to the first couple seconds of the feature film. So with all the pre movie review stuff out of the way, uh, now we can finally get into the actual movie itself. And I want to first start with the opening crawl. Now, we all know that this movie takes place immediately after the events of The Force Awakens. Which brings the question up, why, why do we need an opening crawl? The opening crawl's purpose is to serve for a, an elapsed time, and it's telling you what has uh, gone on during that, those periods of moment off screen. Now, with this opening crawl, instead of explaining what has happened in the events following Seven, it recaps what happened in Seven. It just, it tells us what we already know. And it also addresses what is going to happen in episode eight. However, it doesn't commit to it. Uh, For example, the first order, it says in the Carl, the first order will send out different groups of military across the galaxy to seize control of it. If you just watch the movie and don't watch the opening crawl, you don't get that vibe at all. You don't see any separate factions of the first order uh, going out to different planets and seizing control, you only see this one small band of it, uh, the one of the dreadnoughts and then Snoke's ship. But it says it in the opening crawl that they, they're sending out different uh, large groups of military to different planets to seize control. Yet we only focus on the one. Now it also states in the crawl that the resistance has been exposed. If this movie takes place directly after episode 7, how did, how did it become exposed? Because as far as we knew, that base that they blew up in the beginning of the movie was a secret base that no one knew about. And the fact that it was exposed so quickly, uh, just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So the, the crawl, it, it explains what happened in the last part of the movie, and then it it tells you what's going to happen, yet it doesn't commit to those those messages. So the opening crawl for me is pointless. You know, it also says that they Leia's hoping that Luke's return will uh, spark their the way to um, defeat the First Order and bring the Jedi back or, or whatever. You know, um, so it, it it's literally just a recap. Right away, it feels like a television episode, and you wish you could just 
skip the recap on it. So shortly following that is the opening scene of <laughs> The Last Jedi. Um, again, I'm going to try really hard to keep the... <clears throat> the... Uh, the hate away from it. It's so, it's so, uh, I don't know. There's something about just not liking this film that just makes me feel bad because I want to, I want to talk about how, how stupid some of the things I think they are, but at the same time, well, what's the point? What is the point of doing that? Because it, it doesn't, it's not constructive at all. So I'm going to try and stay away from that and just focus on the meat of this movie. So the opening scene, right? We have the the lone fighter, light fighter, going up against a dreadnought. Now remember, we pick up exactly where number seven leaves off. So it's a little odd to me again that we see the First Order completely recovered already from the demise of their star killer base. Uh, if you remember at the end of seven, they said they were going to gather together and, um, just try and rebuild and to finish Kylo's training and to, you know, whatever they did. They did succeed in destroying the capital of the new Republic. However, the, if it takes it takes place immediately after seven, it just it just doesn't make sense to me that they're they're they seem immediately recovered and they don't at all address the fact that they just lost Starkiller Base. There must have been some major resources on that planet, and uh, heavy members of the military, and uh, weaponry, and just all kinds of documents and everything that could that should have been lost on Starkiller Base that is not addressed at all. So they seem fully recovered. It seems like the the loss of this this major weapon doesn't at all affect the First Order. And they're considered reigning because they defeated the capital of the New Republic, which also opens up other questions about the New Republic, which I'll get into later. So we open with that, and you just have to accept that you know, it's just a chase scene now. They're chasing them maybe for revenge. That's how bad guys are, right? Okay, so then we, we open up this movie with a joke. The first form of dialogue is between Poe and Hux. He calls them hugs, and then he says, oh, okay, I'll hold, and then he says, I got a message for your mom, and then the jokes just keep going and going and going and going, and it's overkill, you know, Honestly, when I <laughs> I was very uncomfortable watching in the theater. I didn't like it, but I just it would have been fine, you know, honestly, you just pick one of those jokes you want to say and then just say it. But the fact that it was said over and over and over again is where I think it becomes overkill. It's just stretching it out. And the the moments in between, the beats in between the jokes seem a little spacious, almost as if they're left open for laughter. And I don't think that's how these movies should be constructed. I think should, they should be constructed beat by beat by for character, not for audience sake. And so I think it kind of just, it's a very rough opening for me. And in between that dialogue, there's also Leia chiming in her thoughts and opinion to Poe. And what's very interesting about that is that most of the shots of her are from the back of her head. And I understand if you want to do that when you want to set up the introduction of a character in the movie. 
and uh, having a legacy character like Leia herself. However, when it keeps cutting back to the back of her head, it just kind of makes it very unattached and it doesn't really get me involved. And of course it's Leia. I want to be as attached as possible because she is a, the, the soul of the resistance in some case, in some points of view. But I just thought it was interesting and coming from a, a director's, uh, stand on it, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't want to show the actor's face. Uh, I mean, that's how you connect to the character themselves. That's all about what setting up camera shots are about, is trying to get the best angle on a face. And I just think it was kind of a waste of character for Leia in those moments, because we could have seen some great um, some great performances, yet we, we did not. Okay, so shortly after... This is all still the opening scene. And then shortly after... Um, you can you can push past the extended joke and the the poor choice of camera shots in that in this situation. If I was seeing this for the first time, I could push past that and accept it, and then keep going on with the movie. However, we get back into the jokes in the middle of this, what should be a very tense, very on the edge of your seat moment when one fighter is going up against a giant dreadnought, it should be, you know, it should have you anticipating. However, they just throw in more humor into it. And you have BB-8 patching up the holes of Poe's ship as if it was draining underwater. So right away, it just doesn't make sense to me because you can't just patch up sparks and everything's back to normal let alone he shoves his head into the control panel and everything's good. But it it's overdone. He does one patch, and then he does another, and then he does ten, and then he shoves his whole head in there. Again, it's a re- repetition of the same joke over and over and over. If I asked you ten times a day, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side, it would become redundant, and it would just get it would just get old. And I think that's what reoccurs here over and over again. And at that point, it becomes cartoonish. And this whole uh, opening scene becomes cartoon. So it it pulls back my belief in what's going on on screen. And it doesn't make me care about what's going on anymore. And honestly, the first time I watched this, I checked out. I immediately checked out after that moment. And it wasn't until Luke came back on screen, which is the second scene of this movie, that I finally realized, oh, hey, we're back but I still got some more things to say about this opening sequence because it's very long and it's the opening scene of a movie. It should be very important and a very uh, pivotal moment for for the rest of the film. So up shortly after we see the bombers come in that are going to take down the dreadnought, okay? Uh, First of all, I just want to say the fact that he's circling around the dreadnought and they can't fire at him because he's too small uh, just makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, look at the Death Star, for example. That was bigger than the Dreadnought, and yet they were able to still fire at the surrounding ships with the turrets on the end of them. So it just seems like the writer of this movie keeps writing himself into corners, and then he comes up with some random excuse to try and get his get his way out of it. And that reoccurs several times through this as well. And I'll give other examples later. Okay, so... The bombers come in, okay? And this is when we're introduced to Paige, um, which is... Um, everyone says that uh, Kelly Marie Tran is the first Asian actor to be in uh, Star Wars. However, Paige was there first. 
she made the appearance first, so it technically Paige was. So Paige comes on screen, and she's only in this movie for like 65 seconds. Yet for me, she has a bigger impact on me than, than Rose Tico. I think she's a way better actress. There's way more range, and there's also more meaning to her story. She has a full-on story in that 65 seconds. The way she grasps her necklace, the way uh, she she contemplates uh, just giving up her life for something bigger, and the, the her performance was amazing. She, I think she's way better than um, <laughs> Kelly Marie Tran. I feel bad for saying that, but I I I think if the I thought when first watching this movie that um, Paige was going to be a main character of the story, and I was very disappointed when she died. Now the filmmaking behind her scene is inconsistent. And it kind of takes me back out of it. And if you think about it with the flow of time, all the TIE fighters are circling around her. She's the last bomber in that area. Yet, these TIE fighters can't take her down. They manage to take down 12 others, but they can't take down this one for some reason. And the reason why the flow of time is inconsistent here is because when she falls off the top of this... um, uh, stand in the in the bomber itself she lands on the ground and then the screen cuts to black which would lead you to assume that there has been a passage of time and the fact that there was a passage of time and the ship still hadn't blown up it's it's just it's inconsistent now if there wasn't a passage of time what is the point of cutting the screen to black and if it's to say, well, she was knocked unconscious, if you're knocked unconscious, then why? You don't just immediately get back up and just remember everything right away. It's just an, it's an inconsistent scene, and it becomes irrelevant to the story at that point because it's just taking you, it's just, it's, it's not telling you like where you are in the line of the story right now. Okay. Whew. So we're still in the opening scene. So once we see. All of, all of this happen, then you... Okay, what am I saying here? So when when the bombers come in, for example, that always confused me because why would the bombers come in if Leia was against Poe's decisions? Poe said he was going to go take down the Dreadnought. Leia said no. Leia is the general and commanding officer of this entire fleet. Do they all disobey her command? Because if it meant giving up the life of one fighter instead of the the 20 to 30 that were on those other bombers, I think that Leia would, would do that and not risk the 20 to 30 to save the, for the one to come back out alive. It's, uh, again, I, I think the writer writes himself into a corner and he doesn't know what he's doing. Once I get into the character study of this movie, I want you to think about this. When writing a uh, anything, when you're writing a book, when writing a screenplay, when writing a, a stage play, um, you have a character, and that character has to go through uh, trials and tribulations. And one way to, and you're going to write yourself into a corner sometime, but when you write yourself into a corner, you have to think of the character as someone who climbed up a tree, now they're stuck in the tree, and they're having apples thrown at them. And the apples are just constantly being thrown at them. And then you, they have to ask themselves, or the writer has to ask themselves, how does the character react in that situation? And then that's how you write around it. You know, and I feel here, 
he's saying, oh, they're not, in this movie, he's saying, oh, they're not actually apples, they're pears. And they're pears made of plastic, so they're not hurting him. And honestly, that reoccurs constantly throughout this whole movie. But we'll get more into that once we start talking about characters. Next, I want to move on to the next scene of this movie. And it is when we are first introduced to Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. Now, don't worry for everyone listening. I'm not going to (laughs) pick apart every single scene in this movie and just tell you the things I think are inconsistent. I'm just talking about the first maybe five of them. And uh, I'm going to summarize all the major elements of that, which I think are important to talk about in considering the rest of the movie, such as structure, camera, characters, and uh, themes and messages. So, once we see the establishing shot of Octo, I remember sitting in the theater that Thursday night for the first time, and I was ready, I, I, was, I already was not disappointed, but I was kind of, I was, I was just not invested in the opening scene. It just didn't interest me. I didn't find it at all that um, connecting, you know. But once we saw the establishing shot of Octu, I, I adjusted in my seat and I was like, okay, nothing else matters because... That was just the opening shot of the movie. It was a little rough, but everything else to follow is going to be Star Wars. And it's going to be what I was prepared for. And <laughs> let me tell you, I was so wrong. Every, like The first time I saw Luke chuck the lightsaber over his shoulder, I was absolutely speechless. And just so... Uh, at that moment I knew this movie just as Luke told me it was going to be it's nothing it's not going to go the way I thought now just so everyone knows and I've said this before I have accepted this movie I accept it as canon I may not like it but I respect it as a episode in the Skywalker saga and I think everyone else should as well, because like it or not, this is episode eight. <laughs> and this is how this is how it has to be. So let me continue. All right, let me adjust my mic real quick. It's a little high. Okay, that's good. Okay, so we can't talk about the scenes on Octu without talking about Luke's treatment in this movie. Now... This is where my opinions start to come into my review and kind of affect the way I talk about this movie. So I think Luke's treatment in this movie is one of two things. It is either a complete lack of understanding of character or it is an irresponsible execution simply to subvert the expectation of the audience. Or it could be both. Again, it's either a complete lack of understanding of who Luke Skywalker is Or it is simply just irresponsible execution, simply to subvert the expectation of the audience, and nothing more. So, Ryan Johnson has 
gone on record multiple times and stated that the Luke Skywalker we see in Return of the Jedi is consistent with the Luke Skywalker we see in The Last Jedi. I, as Mark Hamill would say, fundamentally disagree with everything he just said. <laughs> now, what is what is the point of a uh, a main character in a story? A main character in any story always starts from a, a place of normality and uh, an average Joe, and then they receive a call to become something greater than they are. Um, in this movies, in these string of movies situation, it happens to be that the Force awakens in Rey. Now, in the original trilogy, this was all uh, focused on the character Luke Skywalker, just an average boy called to adventure, and then he became a Jedi by the end of Return of the Jedi. And, but one thing we never see from a hero is them relapsing, at least in in uh, an arc that's already done that itself. And in this situation, we see the character Luke Skywalker relapse and become uh, the opposite of what he became in Return of the Jedi, which he had already kind of done in Empire Strikes Back. He, he In A New Hope, he learned how to become um, a more mature man and uh, understand himself in the Force. And then, But the problem was he became too attached to the people around him. And uh, in, in this case, it was his friends, uh, Han and Leia, and then he uh, couldn't he couldn't accept that their fate is, is chosen for them, so he has to get involved, and then he becomes a, a Jedi again, so to speak, in Return of the Jedi. Now, why the choice was made to have him go back to the 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 whiny pessimist he was again, because in A New Hope he was a whiny spoiled brat. If if you take it that way, that's certainly how I do. And of course, in Episode Eight, he just resorts right back to how he was. So his whole entire um, journey in the original trilogy is kind of negated, and it just leaves him a completely uh, just a mysterious. A character with no sense of direction is like what is what is his purpose after all of this you know and i i don't see a consistency with the character in return of the jedi because in return of the jedi it was such a moving uh, and uh, powerful uh, uh, couple of uh, years for him to accept his fate and become the person he was supposed to be and he did that and the fact that he just gives it all up in, in the beginning of this movie just doesn't make sense to me, especially with the fact that he left a map for himself to be found in BB-8, or I'm sorry, in R2-D2, yet um, he, he tells them that he didn't want anyone to find, he told Ray he didn't want anyone to find him. Now, a theory you can use to counter all of, the, all of this is that he, he is simply testing Ray, which is something I kept in mind when watching this my third time on this rewatch, and... Um, but it it never it never uh, it never complements that theory at all. Um, however, you can still think that if you want to. It's kind of how I accept his treatment in this movie is that it's all a big test, similar to how Yoda was playing a uh, kind of a crazy old man in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. However, Luke in this one never resorted back to his original ways. That can be argued, of course, but um, one of the rebuttals we get from the filmmakers of this. Uh, of this movie is that, you know, 
well, this isn't Luke Skywalker's story anymore. This isn't this isn't like the old the legacy character story anymore. You got to move on. Like let the past die. And that's what the biggest uh, push for this um, the arguments against all the backlash is that like you know got we're talking about new characters here. Let the past die. Well, if that is the case, then why why is this movie? Why is Luke the main character of this movie? Don't tell me it's Ray because Ray is barely in this movie. Ray has absolutely no importance in this movie. And you can fight me on that, but I do not see any change in Ray at all, and we'll talk about her later. But that's just how I feel about Luke's execution. Now, I'll I'll, I'll get back into it once we get back into one of the return cutscenes, but following the introduction to Luke Skywalker is we get the first introduction to Snoke, in the flesh anyway. And... The first thing I thought about when... First of all, let me explain to you guys. I've only seen this movie three times. Is that right? Four times. I'm sorry. I saw it twice in the theater. And then when I bought the Blu-ray, I watched it immediately after. And then I just watched it now so I can do the review. So I've watched the movie four times. So when I when I, when we get back into the, the introduction of Snoke and everything, the first thing I think about is, okay, what is this guy, guy's goal? What is his purpose? Where does he, he's obviously the supreme leader, but what does that mean? Does he not, not like the, the first order is a military regime. It is not a, uh, a government or a, um, a, uh, a, a faction of life. It is a, a military. That's, that's said so in the Resistance television show. The First Order is strictly military. It's nothing, nothing else. So Supreme Leader, what does that, what does that mean? Uh, he's obviously in control of the First Order, but it extends something far beyond that, but that which we do not know. Now, uh, again, uh, just trying to think of his goal here. When watching the movie, he tells Kylo that he saw... When he first found him, he saw great power in him and something more important. He saw a new Vader. So, okay, that can lead us to believe that his goal is to turn Kylo into a Vader. But why would he want to do that? He obviously knows Vader's history, so he knows that Vader turned good and eventually killed his master. Does he want Kylo to kill him? Because if he did, uh, he succeeded and Kylo, <laughs> Kylo killed him. Did Snoke just want to die? This was a very... Uh, roundabout way to try to get him to commit suicide, but obviously he just didn't want to do it by his hand because in that case he would go to hell because he reads the Bible. No, I'm just kidding. But but why did why did he why did he want him to become a Vader? I just don't understand. Vader's job was to be an Inquisitor and kill all the remaining Jedi. After that, his role was just to enforce the um, people in charge of constructing the Death Stars. That was it. So what is a new Vader in this? Uh, time period this this generation want to want to do obviously all the jedi are gone we know he wants to capture luke skywalker and kill him but that's snoke never says that in this movie he says it in the force awakens but he never says you need to find luke skywalker now it changes all of a sudden into finding ray very confusing because we don't know exactly who ray is and why she's so important either there's a lot to Snoke that we needed answered, especially in this movie. More questions are brought up. And so it's not unfair to say that people who wanted an explanation of Snoke, uh, why they, why it's, un, it's like not just that they didn't get that answer. I think it's completely fair to ask that question. And the fact that we didn't get any answers is what creates so much problem with this movie. And from the defense from the filmmakers, how you don't need that information. Well, if that's the case, then there must be a plan, right? And if there is a plan, why come? How come we don't get any further explanation throughout the the rest of the this movie? 
So, now what does Kylo becoming Vader, what does that do for Snoke? Is Snoke just an apparition made by Palpatine? If that's so, that wasn't at all set up in this movie because he's there in a physical form. Uh, a lot of people are theorizing that Snoke was a puppet controlled by Palpatine, and he was creating machinations in the galaxy in order to fulfill a plan that is to be, excuse me, uh, set up in Episode Nine. But we don't know. We don't. We have no idea. There's no way for me to fa- like uh, just give a, a firm review on this character because there's so much just left unsaid. Now it's just weird that. Also, his character just doesn't align with that of that was in Seven. Not only because they changed his his face and his appearance, and uh, they made him a little wider in the face rather than a longer face. It, and I know it was a hologram; it's hard to judge. But there is a difference in Snoke's inner character that I can I can tell you about. First of all, he you can tell he cared for Kylo in, in Episode Seven. And he was very empathetic to his his concerns and the way Kylo was uh, defending himself. And Snoke was empathetic to that. And he never really raised his voice at him. The only person he raised his voice to was General Hux. And we also saw on the scene that that was reversed. And now he 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 has pride in General Hux, and he he uh, he praises him and uh, condemns his his uh, or condones his behavior. It seems the it's all flipped now, and obviously there's some kind of a rivalry between Hux and Kylo, which I think could have been explored more. I think that's very interesting considering their relationship, but it wasn't explored well enough to, for me to fully get a grip on it and explore more in this review. But he went from being Snoke went from being empathetic and caring for Kylo to being completely against him, and all of this happened in less than a day. Remember, it takes place immediately after episode 7. So, less than 24 hours, Snoke's mood towards Kylo is abruptly changed. And it's just, again, inconsistent. I just don't see why this happened. And there wasn't enough explanation for me to know why. So... And did you all... Does anybody notice that they say snuff a lot in this movie? Like, the Huck says it. Uh, Kylo says it. Snoke says it. They all want to snuff out things. I don't really fully understand what that word means, but obviously Ryan really loves that word to have put it in there so many times. But again, the redundancy of this movie is is just, it's out of control. And I know that's just one word and I'm being a little nitpicky, but um, it sticks out because they always emphasize that word. Anyway, moving on. So, after the scene, we obviously we cut back to Octo again, okay? And this all goes back into that, that main topic I wanted to talk about, about time and the sense of time in this movie. We cut back to the island, and it seems like a lot of time has passed when actually I think it's really been just instantly again. Every time it cuts, cuts back to Ray and Luke on the island, another reason why I dislike this is because nothing ever progresses, Every time it cuts back to Ray and Luke, she's just trying to get him to come out of his hut and try to listen to her and like try to make him come off the island. Um, and he just keeps saying, no, no, go away. No, I don't like you. Whatever, whatever. And she keeps trying to convince him, and he just says no. And in the length of this movie, it just seems like a waste of time. And one thing that they teach you in acting class is every scene you write, your characters have to be going somewhere. Not physically, 
necessarily not um, and going somewhere in the story, but they have to be going somewhere emotionally. And there's no, there's no, there's no beat change every time they have scenes together within the first 20 to 30 minutes of the movie. And that's, it's just a waste of time considering the length of this movie. I think the movie is way too long and a lot of this could have been trimmed down, but that goes back to the writing. So that, that's a problem for me. Now, of course, shortly after one of these cuts back to Rhea and Octu, uh, after she's trying to convince him to come back and fight with Leia and all that stuff, she hears a voice in the in the tree, and she goes to look out of the tree, and she sees the books, and Luke comes up, and he's like, Wait a minute! Who are you? And then right when you think it's going to get interesting, uh, it just goes right back to going nowhere, because she starts to explain, like, oh, uh, I've had uh, visions, and I have something awoken me, I need to know how to learn to use it, and, he, and Luke's all like, well, you need a teacher, and, and he's like, but I'm not going to teach you. Go away. And it's it's it sets up something to be really interesting and powerful. And it's like, okay, that was the beat change we needed. He, he saw someone different in the world. And something different that he'd never seen before. Yet he's just like, ah, whatever. No. Go away. I'm not going to teach you. And uh, <laughs> you need a teacher. Too bad it's not me. And that's what I'm talking about. Um, and just the fact that it's... it's it's just a, it, it, the storyline for Ray and Luke is ab- going absolutely nowhere, and it's it eventually it does, but it takes so long to get there. It's a waste of time, and just uh, considering the length of this movie, it's just it just doesn't make any sense. Now, we cut away from them again because they didn't go anywhere, and that's another thing. It just feels like the reason why it keeps going cut to and from the moments on Oct Two is because. Well, there's no progress being made, so let's come back and check in on them later. But anyway, we cut back and we, we see the First Order. And the First Order is tracking them through light speed, the, the resistance. Now, during this scene, Leia actually gives Poe some good advice, which could make for a great part of the movie and a great meaningful moment. Uh, when he tells... when he tells uh, Poe, you know, get your head out of your cockpit. Think of everyone and more. there's more to life than flying an X-wing and blowing something up. And then what happens immediately after that? They they follow them through light speed and they appear where they are and then Poe's like, do I have permission to get an X-wing and blow something up? And she's like, yep, go ahead. It completely negates the very powerful moment and something that could be a great theme of the movie right away and it's it's uh, i just don't understand i just don't understand she literally told him don't be so impulsive and then they show up and she's like okay be impulsive go out there when they could have formed a plan that was that was one of the like the 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 themes of poe's character was he 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 wanted to he wanted to know about the plan uh, over and over and over um yet before when he had leia he he there was no plan setting in place and again they they're being tracked through hyperspace why didn't they just sit down and talk about it and form a plan there and then they could have come up with something a lot quicker and again just waste of time waste of energy it could have been for a great moment i actually really loved it until it was negated almost immediately after it was set up and again i think all of this happens simply for the 
irresponsible execution of subverting the audience's expectations. See, the problem with this movie is for every single person that goes into it, they do not get what they what they expected out of it. Even if you go into it to get a good movie, you're going in to think, oh, I'm going to learn about Snoke. Oh, I'm going to see Luke fight bad guys. All this kind of stuff. Nobody who went into that movie got what they what they expected and came out completely in uh, awe and uh, just either frustration or just uh, uh, just subversion or uh, and some for good, some for bad. But that's that's one of the the things about this movie that makes it so controversial and so just it's just different and why we're still talking about it today. Okay, so, and the the fact that this uh, tracking through light speed uh, moment is, the fact that it's a main plot of the movie is just another reason what makes this a bad movie and completely irrelevant. If we're, we're talking about, this Star Wars is about family drama. It's about politics it's about spirituality yet in the last jedi the main i don't even want to call it a plot but the main plot element of this is about them being tracked through hyperspeed hyperspace and they have to um they're they're like just it's a slow chase scene that's 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 the main plot of the movie i can't think of anything else after watching this movie but that's it and it's just it, again, it's just irrelevant because it, it has nothing to do with what's going on, like what the main uh, tropes are of this story. It has nothing to do with that. The whole light speed thing, y- you can enjoy it and you can have fun with it and you can like them, uh, Haldo maneuvering through the the dreadnought in light speed in the big silent moment. You can love it all you want to, but it has nothing to do with Star Wars. It's completely irrelevant. Okay. Now, how is it that they like the first order can't blow them up, and the resistance maintains speed to stay out of range? Hux in the dreadnought says it himself. Hux is the audience thinking. He says out loud, "What is the point of all of this if we can't blow up one cruiser?" Exactly. That's exactly right. And again, the writer wrote himself into a corner. Oh, they can track him through light speed. Oh, but then the movie would end. Okay, well, they're just out of range. Uh, what is the point of having a giant ship with all these extra small ships around if they can't, if they can't blow it up? Again, it just doesn't make sense. He's written into a corner and he tries to come up with some excuse to get out of it, an excuse that doesn't make sense. And then the rest of the movie is them just, uh, just being chased really slow in space and they're just like right on the brim of I just don't understand I just don't understand and at the beginning of this uh, scene they sent out these small fighters to go blow it up yet they pulled them back because they couldn't defend them so you're telling me that there's not enough ships small ships to go out and destroy them and that a giant dreadnought can't outrun a small resistance cruiser just doesn't make sense and at this point Hux becomes the audience which is good. We always need a character in a movie to identify with the audience and play that role with us. In the original trilogy, it was Han Solo. Han Solo was the audience member in the action. He says, like, you know, uh, what is this force mumbo-jumbo? And Sorry, my phone went off. 
um, what is this force mumbo jumbo? And you're all crazy. Like, this is stupid. He says that throughout the whole movie. And you, we identify with that because it was all new and fresh and original. So Hux in this movie is that character. However, that stays inconsistent as well, because at a certain point he stops identifying with the audience and becomes a part of the craziness and we lose it again. Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about, Oh, I know. Let's talk about Leia's, uh, Mary Poppins scene. (laughs) I'm completely joking. There is nothing I want to talk about with that scene. I've addressed it before in my Last Jedi discussion episodes. Go back and listen to it. But I will say it's awkward. It's very awkward. It It's, it's inconsistent with character. I mean, we, I'm not saying that Leia can't have the Force. We all know Leia has the Force. It's a very important part of who Leia is. She's able to connect with her family that way, especially Luke and Kylo. Um, but the fact that she survives space, <laughs> um, it's awkward. It's very, uh, and that laughing is the reaction I had when I was first saw it in the theater. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was like a dream or something. I did not think it was real. I was like, what, what movie am I, am I in the Mel Brooks version of The Last Jedi? Like, what is going on? It's just awkward. But you know, one, one thing that would have made that better not only if they had addressed that she knows how to use the Force more and she's or she'd been training, but another thing that would have made that scene better is if the other characters had reacted to it. I know they saw her flying in and they were like, oh, quick, go get the doors. But I mean, like, actually react to the fact that she had a special power. Later on in the scenes or something, they're just like, did you see that? How did she pull herself back? Did she use the Force? Can Leia use the Force? Wow. Well, if she can use the Force, maybe, like, she can help us. Maybe she can teach us like that would have that would have that would have made that scene a little better. And then she can come back and explain, yes, I know how to use the force. I've actually been training for a long time. Luke taught me when he went away. I stopped using it. But I'd like to teach all of you, you know, something small, just something like just an offline. Just address it. Address that it happened. Nobody addressed that it happened. And then when she comes back uh, from consciousness, unconsciousness, she's like, they don't address it. And she just goes on to not having powers. Again, it's just inconsistent. It just kind of doesn't fit with the flow of the movie. Anyway, again, I want to talk about Ray, and I want to talk about how she has nothing to do. Ray has nothing to do in this movie. I I can't I can't think of anything. I've seen this movie four times, and I cannot. I I don't understand what Ray's point is in this story. I mean, she goes to Octu to convince Luke to come home, but he doesn't. What does she learn when she's there? That that the force is like um, that she learns the balance of the force. She could have learned that anywhere. Uh, what she got books. Nothing nothing essential happened to her, uh, her 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 character in this movie, and she didn't feel like the main character at all. I'm telling you, this was Luke's movie, and it 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 was a complete waste of Ray as a character. I actually don't like her in this movie. I don't. I think she's cute. I I think she's. Uh, funny mainly i just think she's she's cute but i in the first one i thought she was she was she was a she was a badass i thought man she's tough oh she's she's like she's uh independent 
she's she has a purpose, but we don't know what that is yet. And I thought she was hot, and but in this one, I don't feel any of that. That's right. I don't even think she's hot in this movie. I think her outfit is just bad. It makes her look frumpy. The camera work makes her look chubby in the face, and it's just everything about her is just off. I mean, the only thing that we get of her is that she starts to form some kind of relationship with Kylo Ren, but we don't know what that is. We don't know. <laughs> There's the the Raylo theories, but um, she she went from absolutely despising Kylo Ren to now having empathy towards him, and and again, such a little amount of time, it just doesn't make sense to me. And of course, I'm totally open for reception. If you are uh, welcome to uh, genuinely have like a, a a response to what I'm saying here today, and you want to tell me what your thoughts are, and hopefully convince me otherwise or enlighten me, I'd be happy to hear. But uh, let's just keep it healthy, yeah? Okay, so, Ray, she has nothing to do here. <laughs> Which is why I'm really excited for episode 9, because it sounds like uh, we're getting our main character back. Okay, like I said, I'm not going to break down every single scene, because that's just as redundant as the whole plot of this movie is. And I could go on and on and on. And remember when I said this was going to be a short episode? We're now at 53 minutes, and <laughs> we haven't really talked anything constructive about the movie. So let's talk about the structure, okay? All these little moments I've talked about already is enough for me to summarize it all as a whole. Um, and honestly, I skipped a lot of this movie. There is a lot of this movie I could not watch. It was very, very hard for me to watch this movie. I really do not like it. I, I, I hate most of it. It and I do. It, it's really hard for me to hate certain th- anything really. Uh, hate people, hate things. <laughs> That's not who I am. But this movie, it just does something to me. It just doesn't feel like. It doesn't feel right to me. And remember, I, I said I accepted it. So this is Star Wars, but it's just, I just don't like it. You know. And that's okay. So let's talk about the structure. Okay, like I like I said before, the sense of time in this movie is skewed. There is no sense of time. There, it it's immediately after the Force Awakens, but then after that, we have no idea how much time has lapsed. And it's from lines of dialogue such as, "In the morning, I'll I'll teach you three lessons, and then you'll learn the ways of the Jedi." However, during that time, we see the sun go up and down at least like twice. So it wasn't in one day yet. During um, the Canto Bite sequence that takes place in one evening, and it's just... Oh, wait a minute. There was... Was there some daylight at Canto Bite? I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not talking about Canto Bite. Um, yes. Oh, that's one thing I noticed, though. Whether you love or hate the movie, everyone kind of is in agreement that Canto Bite was a waste of time. So, that's interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, sense of time. It's all over the place. I don't think even the writer could tell me how much time has passed in this movie. It feels like uh, <laughs> two hours and 35 minutes, which is the runtime of the film itself. However, the sun goes up and down, and I realize it's space, and the, the, the what is it, the theory of uh, uh, time and fudge. What's, the, what's that uh, theory called? I don't know. But time works differently in different parts of space. So, that could be the case, but uh, we have no idea. We have no idea what's going on. Okay, so uh, narrative of the film. What is the narrative? This goes under structure as well. Um, 
you know, uh, I, I couldn't tell you what this film is about. I couldn't tell you. I Honestly, I say it's Luke's film, but honestly, I couldn't honestly tell you who the main character is of this movie. Um, <clears throat> because not only are our um, main characters from Force Awakens in it, but there's also an introduction of like seven, eight, nine other characters that some of which just come in to leave right away. And there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff in this movie and that affects the narrative. We are all over the place. We're being chased in space. We're giving life lessons on Octu. We're rolling around a casino. We're in a dungeon. Some uh, random DJ guy is going to help us break in. We're on the dreadnought. We're breaking in. Phasma's back. Oh no! We go to crate. We're flying around there, and there's, there's so much going on in this movie. It's so stressful, honestly. And then we have the Maz Kanata scene. Oh my God! She literally popped up just to tell everybody about how big a hoe she is. <laughs> I mean, in the Force Awakens, she was talking about how much she loved Chewbacca. And then in this one, she's talking about how much she loves the Code Breaker. She just likes to have sex with everybody. <laughs> Maz Kanata gets around the galaxy. I will tell you that. <clears throat> okay, so the other thing under structure, I just want to talk about, how, how does the ending of this film contribute to the meaning of the film? As far and what I mean by that is like, where are we going? What does it set up and what did it, um, what did it close? Um, <laughs> the, the ending of this film, they're all hugging and clapping and having a gay old time and um i don't know why i don't know why they just lost and i did the numbers they lost uh, 365 people in that little chase battle and they also lost luke skywalker and they can't get in touch with the the new republic and none of their allies would come to help them yet they're all celebrating Weird, huh? Also, Ray and Poe are introduced for the first time on screen. That's weird because it was implied they met off screen. <clears throat> and yeah, I just, I don't think the ending of this movie contributes to anything about the, what the story was about. The ending of this movie, and also the broom kid. What the hell? Broom boy? What are you doing? It was just. I don't think the the ending of this movie sets up anything for where the story could go. Now, that is an advantage for someone like J.J. Abrams to come in and do freely what he would like to do, narratively. But narratively speaking, this, this there was no narrative. The, the, the whole entire story is itself, as far as like a, um, a, a scale perspective, as far as like the galaxy and like the main themes that were set up in The Force Awakens were not addressed in this movie. And they didn't go anywhere. So the closing of this movie just felt like it was, uh, this whole thing felt like it was like an off and off show. It felt like a holiday special. Like it, you can watch it. It's fun to watch, you know, and it's, it's visually stimulating, whatever, but, uh, it doesn't really contribute to anything. And, um, you can kind of watch this movie or you can kind of skip this movie and go into episode nine, I would think, and just be okay. <laughs> we'll find out. But anyway, that's it for structure. I want to talk about camera. The camera work in this movie is completely, um, different in comparison to The Force Awakens. Um, I don't know if they switched uh, camera ops or not, or cinematographers, but um, it sure does feel like it. It's less fluid. 
Uh, you notice in The Force Awakens, the camera is constantly moving. There's very few shots where it's just stagnant and focused on a, a one one shot composition of uh, action in the frame. Uh, it's very it's very moving, and it often um, flows with the movement of the characters. For example, if uh, <clears throat> Poe is leaning in to a conversation with somebody, the camera will often complement that by going through the two characters and then focusing on a new character. It's just very fluid in The Force Awakens. And in this one, it's very still. And I think that affects the tone of the movie. Which, by the way, tone is also all over the place. And I think it also has to do with lighting and coloring, which is also kind of not consistent in this movie. I remember when I said the marketing of this movie was beautiful with the red and white? Well, we really don't get that until like the very last part of the fifth act of this movie <clears throat> and even then it it has no meaning uh any that i can tell but um so we have the we have the gray and the blue on octo <clears throat> we have the white and black on um canto bite and it's and the other places too it's just it's kind of all over the place and i can't really find a sense of tone or a sense of voice as far as um, the director's voice goes. <clears throat> but the camera work, uh, I think the lenses they're using are very different than the ones they use in Force Awakens. It, it, uh, it affects, the, uh, it affects the, the, the actors themselves. It makes them look a little chubbier, which is why I think Ray looks a little bigger in this, in this movie. Um, <clears throat> and I don't think... It, someone told me it was because she was working out and she was bulking up. I disagree with that because... If you look back on the press tour um, they did right before, uh, she looked like she did in The Force Awakens, and the same with The Rise of Skywalker. So I think there was a lack of understanding of how to work the camera from the director's point of view. Um, <clears throat> or he just didn't know exactly what he wanted, and they kind of messed around. Because you can see the change in facial structure throughout the film. Maybe maybe Daisy Ridley got stung by a bee one day, I don't know. But... <clears throat> Camera work is it just it doesn't make sense to me. And the cinematography I didn't care for either. It looked like they were going for a natural approach, but <clears throat> even then it was uh something's off. And I'm not a camera guy, but anyway. Characters. What motivates them? What is their motivation in this? These are just thoughts I'm gonna leave with you guys because I've kind of already covered character. What motivates the characters in this movie? What do the main characters learn about themselves, and how do they change? I think it's inconsistent with what they found out in The, the Force Awakens, especially with Finn and Poe. Ray, not so much, because I don't think she was at all established in this character, and we didn't further her her disposition at all, um, or her ideals. We really didn't talk about Ray that much. So mainly I'm talking about Finn and Poe. Um, and... The film's themes. What are the film's themes for you guys? You know, uh, with Star Wars, it's about morality. It's about religion, sexuality, happiness, freedom, love, spirituality, <clears throat> identity. Yet, this, this film touches on all of that. Yet, it does not focus on one and sends a clear and direct message about it. So that's what I think the problem is. You can have themes in your movies, of course. You can touch on many different ones. But you got to focus on one and really hone in on it and leave your audience with a with a direct message and I don't think this film accomplished that at all anyway guys that was my rant so to speak uh, sorry I kind of went over time but um, that was my review of the, the, the Last Jedi 
movie. Um, in fairness, even though I don't like the movie, I am glad that I did it because I, I every time I watch it, I try to go in with an, an open, a more open mind, and just trying to try to find ways to like it. I'm slowly getting there, and one day I will. But um, you guys, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about my review too. You know, this is the last one I'm doing for the Road to the Rise of Skywalker movie marathon, and I'm so excited because we got less than two weeks to the Rise of Skywalker. So excited. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Please support the channel by going to the social medias. Everything's at Haunt Talks first. Send me a message. Love to hear your Star Wars story. And now, somehow, someway, somewhere, this week, may the Force be with you. Do it.